This podcast was proudly sponsored by Carmel Riley Consulting, a social enterprise helping businesses solve social issues. Through the delivery of strategic advisory and leadership development programs, the consultancy provides opportunities to underemployed professionals navigating hidden barriers to employment. Women and disability isn't something I've discussed on the show. Within the dyslexic community, there is great debate over the term disability and whether we are disabled or whether the world around us is disabling us rather than enabling us. So today's conversation is all about disabilities and gender with one of my mentors, Trisha Maloney from the Good Incubator Program. Trisha is the chair of Women with Disabilities Australia. She is a proud woman with a disability who is passionate about advocating for women and girls with disability needs. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. What do you think of the term disability? Well, let's listen to what Trisha has to say. Welcome to the show, Trish. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you going? Really great. Um, the Good Incubator Program has been established by, um, in partnership with the state government, Victoria. Could you talk a little bit about the program? As you know, there's a real need for people with disabilities to undertake real employment. For me, running my own business has been a boon for me. I work with who I want to, when I want to work with. So the Good Incubator has been established by Outlook in Pakenham, which is a disability organisation that doesn't run on traditional lines. They have been paying award wages for yonks and they employ people with disabilities on an equal basis as other employees. And also with Impact Co, which is an organisation that established the Good Incubator model, which is run to support people with disabilities in this case to run their own businesses and become financially independent. And they've partnered with me because I have a disability, I run my own business and I'm quite successful at what I do. And I've got really good connections to the disability community. So for us, the disability community means absolutely everybody who faces barriers in society. So we don't run on the medical model. So it's not about the diagnosis. It's about whether there's something in society that prevents you from living the life that you want to live. So, for example, there's visible and invisible disabilities. For me, people see that I use calipers and crutches and they think, well, that's the disability, but it's actually some of the psychosocial stuff that is actually more of a barrier or perhaps my acquired brain injury that I got when I had a car accident that people don't see, um, but it does actually have more of an impact on what I do and when I do it. So the Good Incubator talks about how you can change your mindset to a growth mindset, how you can use empathy to gain clients, how to talk to clients, how to seek funding, how to ensure that you protect your intellectual property, all of those things that people do when they run a business. I'm really enjoying being a part of it because I hope through the enthusiasm of seeing people with the passion for their business, they'll be able to get to where I am, which is financially independent and running a business that suits me and I run it when I want to, as I want to. 
Well, there's so many things to unpack with what you've just said then. Financially independent is what I'm working towards. I'm so excited when I'm, the foundation actually um, pays me and I'm not a volunteer. Uh, but it was interesting. There's a couple of things. So the Good Incubator Program, we've just started and I've been lucky enough to um, receive, say, a scholarship or a placement into the program, which has been super exciting because I think the more as uh, business owners the more support we can access and guidance and mentoring and peer support is so important. But also um, your comment around disability and the medical model. So within the dyslexic world or the um, learning disability space, it's really interesting because we feel like we're caught between this medical model of having to have that diagnosis so then you're able to be protected under law if you're discriminated against and to uh, access certain funding it's limited to those with dyslexia but there is a little bit in higher education and in schools and then we're caught between the social model where it's not a disability it's an ability and uh, our brains think differently and we have these strengths because of it so do you find um with the work you do particularly with the women's disability australia that uh, there's still that conversation happening with physical disabilities or do you think it's more around the hidden disabilities now that people don't identify or struggle to? And, and I think that for us, we sort of don't ask. Um, what we base it on is what support needs do you need? Do you need it written differently? Do you need to have a conversation about this rather than get a complicated document that, you know, the words are written backwards for some people, you know, or, or is it that you just need to have an audio version of the documents or do you need it do you need an Auslan interpreter that's that's the sort of stuff or do you need this this event held in a place that you can actually get into in my case you know since I've been to events where it's actually you know upstairs well that's fine I'll stay down here and you just shout out the window because I'm not going to be able to get in there <laughs> so it is about um, rather than focus on a diagnosis model it's focused around what is society doing to disable us? Sometimes it's attitudinal. So I've been to meetings where I'm the expert in the room and people are wondering why I'm there. Um, and don't forget that if you have dyslexia, you are the expert around dyslexia. Don't let anybody else tell you that they're the expert because they're an educational, they're a psychologist, they're always trying to change it. The other thing I, I'd like to say is that there's nothing wrong with having a disability. Right? Um, people are always asking me, what's wrong with you? Well, actually, nothing's wrong with me. I'm quite fine as I am, thank you. Um, but this is me as I am. I come with my full self. And I wouldn't be who I am without my disability. It's, it's how we shape ourselves in society. And organisations like women with disabilities australia people with disabilities australia the disability leadership institute you don't have to sign anything that says this is my disability what you say is i have a disability and society tries to put labels on us so this is where you fit in this well i don't think dyslexia fits well it's not up to you to decide you're not the one who um, is facing the barriers the person who has dyslexia, in my case, the person who had polio, the person who is deaf, the person who is blind, 
whatever it is, the person who has learning difficulties, the person who has an intellectual disability, all of them are the people who say, I have a disability. And it's not, a, and some people say that they are disabled. So the labels we place on ourselves are ours to place on ourselves. Nobody else has the right to label us. We own it. So whatever we're comfortable with. And it's interesting you say that because uh, in my book that I've recently written, I talk about the diagnosis and um, the word impairment and what did that mean and could I be repaired because mm -hmm. I thought I needed to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And um, as I go through the chapter, I talk about that feeling of being impaired and what did it mean and having, how, do I, how do I fix myself? And at the end, it was like, well, do I need to be fixed or is it that society needs to adjust and adapt to ensure that I'm able to achieve what I want to achieve? And is there actually anything wrong with me? And it's really interesting because I'm a fair bit older than you. Um, so I'm, I'll say I'm 66. I'm at an age where people retire and things have just got really exciting, so I'm not going to do that. But certainly when I started work well when I was when I got my diagnosis at the age of four months uh, which was polio my parents were told well put this one in a home go away and have more kids and they heard the second bit but not the first so there's eight more after me wow but I know <laughs> but the first bit was well we're not doing that and I've asked my parents about that because in my day that's what happened people were put in the home if they had a disability they went to specialist schools um, and I was always mainstream. And there was an expectation on me that I would work, that I would uh, be the same as everybody else. And I was treated the same as everybody else, except for the things that I needed. So nobody else in the family got to wear calipers. Um, nobody else in the family got to go to the pool every Wednesday for physiotherapy. So I don't think they were too keen on wearing calipers, but they were a bit jealous of me going to the pool <laughs> on a Wednesday. So I was not treated any differently except for the sports I needed. So that's what I expected societies to be like. Mm. So it was a bit of a shock when I got to work, you know, and I worked from the age, I left school at 16, started work straight away. I worked in a bank, but I wasn't allowed to go to university back then because I wanted to teach. Well, you can't have somebody like you as a teacher because you've got a disability. Um, so I went back to uni as a mature age student, so that was interesting. But it was also in the days when women got paid 70% of men's wages. I wasn't allowed to become a, a teller in a bank because I was female. Um, sort of think back then and go, really? Mm. Uh, I, wasn't a, I wasn't allowed to, if I, if I got married, I had to ask the bank manager's permission. If I, was, if I got pregnant, I had to leave work. So we were, I was so busy working on that part of it, on the women's movement, but I didn't even think about disability and it wasn't until I was working for Victoria Police as a, a disability, no, sorry, it wasn't. I was working for Victoria Police as a equity and diversity person, so teaching police how not to discriminate and how not to sexually harass people. So that was back in the 90s. And they said to me, will you be the disability liaison officer? And I said, well, I don't know anything about that. And they said, but you've got one. And I went, oh, okay. So, and then I found out a whole lot of things. I didn't know everybody wasn't as pushy as me, that everybody didn't demand access and demand what they needed. And so I, I, it sort of opened my eyes to the world of disability. 
I'd never seen myself as a person with disability and now I embrace it because I think, you know, it's part of who I am um, and it, it's time we change the world to say, you know, this is what I need. I don't need extra anything. I, this is my basic human rights. And I think that's the thing that we've got to look at, basing everything around the human rights framework, around the Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities, which Australia has signed up to, by the way. They have signed the, um, all of the conventions, um, but they get slated every time they do a shadow report. So there's still things happening that, that could be improved. I mean, if you look at what's happening overseas, we're certainly doing better than a lot of other countries, but we could do better. And it's interesting you say that because uh, for people with learning disabilities, we're so far behind in other mm. countries. We really, our rights within the workplace are negligible. Um, people don't want to disclose because of fear of discrimination. The research I'm doing currently with Latrobe is the first of its kind looking at uh, dyslexia in the workplace. So in that perspective for learning disabilities we're definitely a lot further behind but it's good to hear it generally that we we are progressing compared to other countries and and i mean we're lucky we've got you know the supports that we have and i would agree with you that there are a lot of people who have dyslexia who have never disclosed it um, who have struggled and who have mastered been able to mask it by using techniques so it's almost like people think that if you have dyslexia, that means that you're not smart, or if you have learning difficulties, that means that you're not smart. If you have an intellectual disability, it means you're not smart. But people find their own ways. And sometimes, like if you have an intellectual disability, there's specialist support skills available. But for others, for people who have dyslexia or learning difficulties, it's been a, you've done it yourselves. Mm. You've, you've not had that. Uh, the toolkit there to support you. One of the things I'm, I'm sharing is that um, I do a fair bit of work in Africa and especially with COVID-19. So I've been talking to Kenya and Nigeria and Nepal, all over the place, you know, Zimbabwe, and sharing the resources that are available here with them. So the COVID-19 and disability stuff. Um, so the stuff put out by Scope, anything I find that's, that's, um, that's easy English, and I know that's not what dyslexics, people with dyslexia have but, or need, but it's about, you know, how do we support our colleagues overseas? Because I can tell you the issues that we face here are exactly the same in every country I go to. Um, so last year I was in Africa and I was in Jakarta. And the, the issues that were raised were the same. You know, how do we how do we change government? How do we change society's views towards us? How do we make sure we're not put on the outskirts of the village because my legs don't work? Or how do how do I explain to people that I learn differently? I can learn, but I learn differently. Or I see the world differently, and I see what's written on the page differently. So it's all of that sort of stuff. Let's share. I mean, we're a, we're a huge group of people, mm. you know, 20% of the population. So with Women with Disabilities Australia, that's 2.4 million women and girls over the age of 16 who are our client base. People with Disabilities Australia, well, you're looking at nearly 9 million people, but we don't have 
we're not a voting bloc because we're not united. No, and that's anyway. what I think. But I mean, that was one of the great things about joining the Good Incubator was, um, and I don't know if there are other people with learning disabilities in the group, we don't talk about our disabilities uh, as such, but um, to be able to be in, in that environment and to kind of advocate for the fact that it is a dis it can be a disability for some people. And then mm. uh, so the opportunities to be mixing with other people that have disabilities. So we become that united voice because it can be fragmented. And I think, you know, so if, if we look at the NDIS, and I know that's not perfect, and it's certainly not perfect for people who have dyslexia or, or learning differences. We're not covered under it yet. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. the thing. But we, I was one of the people who fought for this to get in, and I'm disappointed that it's not run quite as I wanted it to run. But one of the things that we learned from that is that we, if we've got a bigger voting voice, it works better. Mm. So people with disabilities, families and the service sector all worked separately and said, we are in disability, we're the experts. And we were told if the three of you got together and worked towards a common aim, which is better outcomes for people with disabilities, people might listen. And that's how we got it up. And I think that's how people with disabilities need to work collaboratively. Um, so like in my diagnosis, which is the polio, and I'm happy with having, saying I had polio, but they want to stay segregated that it's about polio. In my work, if I was to talk about me, it would be 66-year-old women who had polio who don't need much in the way of external supports other than calipers, home modifications, and the physical stuff. And that's very limiting, whereas the issues are about how do we change society to make it accessible for everybody, regardless of what the diagnosis is. So for me, my passion is about how do I make sure that people who have dyslexia get a voice? How do I make sure that people who are deaf get a voice? How do I make sure that people who are blind get a voice? How do I make sure that people with intellectual disability, and that's a really hard group too, mm. because somebody's always willing to talk for them and they don't get what they need. So I've, I've got a group of friends who have uh, intellectual disabilities and they run a really powerful group. And they will ring me up and say, um, can you come and talk to us? Sure. Um, what about, well, can you talk to us about how to talk to doctors? And nobody's thought that they should have any knowledge about their own bodies. Mm. Right? And I know we're the experts, we'll tell you. And that, it's really interesting because they always say to me, we can't pay you. And for that group, I always say, that's fine. Because I know they don't have any money. Um, but they pay me with Tim Tams, which is a problem because my bottom <laughs> just gets bigger. Um, but, you know, sort of somebody's, nobody's thought that people who have an intellectual disability might need to be empowered to say to the doctor, why am I in hospital? Do I have to have this operation? Can I say no to these tablets? What are these tablets for? And you sort of think, well, why not? Why is it that somebody else is always speaking on behalf of people? Mm. With the right supports, everybody has the opportunity to know what, what they need to do. Everybody has the right to say, this is my body. I'm the expert about my body. So with dyslexia and learning 
difficulties. I know many of the people that I know actually mask any dis, any dis, form of um, disability that, that might be able to cause other people to discriminate against them. Should we have to mask? It's a, a question I'm putting to you. And it's perhaps for the dys dyslexia community to say, it's time for us to own this as, as a position of pride. And it's interesting you say that because I never meant to come out as being dyslexic, um, but I always disclosed in a job because I didn't want to, uh, because of the how I'd been received previously before my diagnosis, I didn't want people thinking I was dumb or stupid or I wasn't doing my job properly. And even though I've still received that type of feedback after disclosing, uh, the anxiety of not disclosing is much greater than if I tell someone I have it. Um, but our campaign this year with the foundation is Faces of Dyslexia and we're launching it next week. And it's to try and encourage people either to, it's a self-portrait, so they can either do it of their face or their face can be hidden. And it's really to start a conversation around why people aren't disclosing at the moment and why is it so hard for them to disclose. And it's because it's, we're not in a safe space to do that and we don't um, get the support when we do. And so we're really hoping, normally we'd have an annual gala and because of COVID we couldn't. So we thought, well, why don't we do this online art competition and try to get as many people as possible, whether they show their face or not, to help promote the concept so that people can start to come out and have be proud. And I think because literacy is such a core um, component of our lives and that it's, it can feel so shameful if you can't do something that feels so basic for everybody else. And it's everything revolves around language and writing and reading. Um, so it's trying to help remove that stigma that it's okay that you, your reading and writing isn't at the same level as someone else because your skills are much greater in a different area than that other person. But it's, you, you know, that stigma still that, that we're trying to reduce. And hopefully this campaign will at least start to get people thinking about dyslexia and learning disabilities and that people are, are too scared to, to be their authentic self. And, and that's an inter interesting thing. So with polio, it was the COVID-19 of the 50s, right? So they closed the schools. People would cross the road rather than talk to my family because, you know, it was, it was highly contagious and that's yeah. how people got it. Was, it was airborne, so the similarities with COVID are, are enormous. Um, and one of the ways that it started to be more acceptable to have had polio, and this is only recently, is the number of people who are famous who had polio that nobody knew about because they always masked it because there was a shame about having a disability. So people like Alan Elder, who the actor had polio, Kim Beasley, the politician, had polio, um, Joe Bianchi Peterson had polio, uh, Roosevelt had polio, the president of the US. It was always everybody knew but nobody spoke about it because you know you can't have a president with a disability in a wheelchair my goodness but it's that's i'm just wondering if that's an opportunity for dyslexia as well and i know that there are a number of actors who have who are have come out now to say well i was dyslexic the uk have had a massive push around famous people with dyslexia and showing their strengths and we don't have a lot of Australian famous people at the moment. There's a handful like Jessica Watson who sailed around 
uh, the world and a couple of others, but not there's not a huge amount of Australian famous people stepping up at the moment. And what we've also found is that a lot of people in our community have said, well, we don't have those strengths. And so they really struggle because they're still seeing their dyslexia as such, it's such a barrier for them in life, for their mental health and well-being, their ability to get a job or to have the education they want, that they don't, they're not seeing those strengths that Richard Branson, we see of him or Jamie Oliver or some of those big leaders uh, out coming out of the UK. Uh, made by dyslexia, that's who they are. And the work they do is great, but what we're finding in our community is that the challenges are so hard still that they can't see their strengths or they're not able to use their strengths because we're not set up yet for them to do that. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, starting from the ground floor, if you like, because mm. there's not something, there's not somebody already doing this. Where in the UK, their population is so much larger than ours. There's the opportunity for more people to be able, the diversity of, of people. And so you could, you've got a, more people to choose from. So, well, I can see myself in that one. I mean, I'm never going to see myself in a champion runner. Although I have a, I have a niece who's a, a long-distance runner um, and she's, she's at university in America doing a PhD on running. Wow. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. She's got, and won scholarships all the way through. She's been there for about six years now. Um, but she often says to me that uh, her running is about endurance and perhaps so some of what I do is about endurance too. So she's smart, you know, sort of, I, will, I always say to her, oh, you get your running skills from me. Um, <laughs> and she says, no, I get my endurance from you. And so there's something about how our brains work that we don't pick up the strengths of others. We don't see ourselves because we're still struggling through that I can't do mm. rather than, yeah, but I'm not good at that, but look how good I am at that bit. Yeah. So I'm never going to be a, an actress or a runner or never going to be anything else. But there are traits that I see in other people that I think, oh, yeah, okay, it's the endurance or it's the ability to keep pushing through the barriers until you get to the other end of it. Or it might be that I've got the ability of a, a, an actress to smile in public even when I don't feel like smiling. Um, and I've got a, a way of masking who I am so not everybody sees the real me. So, I, you know, I suffer greatly from depression. The only person who really sees that is my husband. I mean, I despise it because I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. But the only person who really sees it is Noel. Yeah, and I talk about my struggle with depression too because even as someone that's run a business, I'm doing my doctorate and I've written my book, you know, the day-to-day -day struggles still sometimes are so overwhelming. They they take over the, the things and it's hard to see, you know, actually I am... I'm not a marathon runner, but I'm running a, a mental marathon and trying to get mm. the awareness of dyslexia out there. And so I think it's how, how we work with people to try and flip that to say, well, what are the, it could be like just what you described. I mean, that's an amazing strength. And for someone, your niece to be able to take that from you and say, this is, this is what I get from you. And mm. I think it's um, been shown that strengths come in a variety of things. It's not just the normal ones that are put out there you know, becoming famous or becoming mm. a billionaire or they're actually not such strengths that everyone's going to have. It's what are those strengths that help us day to day that get through? It's really interesting. So I was having a discussion about sport the other day. I don't do any sport at all. 
except walking. I, I walk every day, but I don't see that as a sport. I see that as just me needing to exercise. And I was talking about sport, and we always get the Paralympians, you know. Look at this Paralympian. Isn't that wonderful? And somebody said to me, you know, most people aren't Olympians. Most people are just a sport. And what we need to do in the disability community is ensure that everybody has an opportunity to do ordinary sport, not the elite sport, but the ordinary. And I think that's what it is for us. We just want to be able to do the ordinary. If you do extraordinary, well, good on you. But let's just concentrate on what our own interests are and how we can do that to the to the best we can. Um, none of my sisters are film stars or actresses. Um, we're all extremely talented, but we're never going to get to that stage. All of us have done drama in some form or another. We're not going to be actresses. We're just going to be ordinary people who have fun. And that's what we try to do with the podcast is show that there's a lot of ordinary people just, you know, succeeding in being ordinary. And you know, we're not all going to be Richard Branson. There's, you know, there's only one of him in the world. And so we need to be our own one, whatever that is. Absolutely. And yeah. So it's, it's, um, it is really around changing the thoughts of society, isn't it? For me, it's not about me. It's about, how can I support you to be the best you are? And sometimes I worry that I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. But sometimes I think my strength is that I'm instinctive and that I'm able to hone in on what the issue is. So if you're dyslexic and you were to come to me, my conversation wouldn't be about, oh, so you can't read the way I read. It would be, about, well, how can I help you? What, what can I do? to help you help yourself? What is it that you need to be able to succeed? Not about the diagnosis of that, because it's important in that you need to know yourself and you need to know why it is that you've struggled. That's the diagnosis part of it. But what is it that will help you participate in society and reach your goals? That's all it is for me. For me, it's more conversational. Let's unpick it. Let's look at what it is we're doing, what it is that's, that you're struggling with or what it is that society's struggling with and how can you then talk to society to say, you know, the way you're doing things isn't right for me. So not about I can't follow what you do, but what you're doing is actually placing a barrier for me. So it's changing the conversation, if you like, without blaming, but just saying, did you know that I couldn't go to your meeting because it was held up a flight of stairs? Or did you know that setting a meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning when it takes me two hours from getting out of bed to actually getting ready to leave the house is a barrier when you have a disability? Or did you know that when you sent me that contract, it was absolutely confusing? Why, why do you need to write it in legalese? Why, why can't you write it in plain English that anybody else will? Or to say, I need this in an audio version. Do you know that you have obligations under the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities to actually provide me with the information in the format that I need? Um, it's quite interesting. It is, and I've taken that as a quote to put out. Speaking of the Convention on Disabilities, 
was having a conversation the other day around what is a reasonable adjustment and when does a reasonable adjustment become overcompensatory in the workplace. And I was mm -hmm. saying that by law, an organisation should give you the tools you need to be able to get your job done. And sometimes you might get to a job and it's actually not the right fit for you. The organisation is still, as long as you've disclosed that you have a disability, so they can help you, they need to then help you under the, um, under the, the Discrimination Act, or Disability Act. So is, have you had conversations where reason, when, because I was in a situation at uni where they weren't going to fund me, I need editing support, and um, the Access and Equity Unit felt that the reasonable adjustment I was asking for was too much and that I needed to improve my writing skills. And I said, well, at a PhD level, um, this is the best of my ability and then I need resources to help me finish off my work. So do you have conversations around when reasonable adjustments are um, too much or cheating or uh, an unfair mm. advantage to others? It's really interesting, isn't it? What's a mm. reasonable adjustment? And the reason it's written that, that way is reasonable adjustment is so that there is an out, you know, for the organisation. Mm. And, and it's something that, that I have had conversations about for, for many years, for many people. Um, so a friend of mine doesn't speak. And her reasonable adjustment was that she's a lawyer, right? So she didn't have to do an oral presentation. She could do it using a communication tool. And everybody objected to her being having to do that you know being allowed to do that using a tool you know that's cheating and it's not it's actually how how we communicate and i think this is a part of the communication part of it so it is difficult conversation and you don't always win uh, you should because this is actually a real thing it's not something you've just gone well actually i really just don't like writing so therefore i'll just get somebody else to write it for me so is it is it convincing people that you have the brain power, the knowledge and the expertise to do it, but you literally just can't write it? And that's what it is. It's not that you don't know. And how do you then convince them that the other person isn't writing your thesis? Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's only an editing tool. And I'm lucky that um, that my that was the 35th edition that I'd sent the access and equity. They didn't realise that I'd written this 35 times. And I'm lucky I've got exceptionally supportive supervisors that have worked. They have seen me develop this paper. They know it's my work. But they actually had to meet with them to explain that, no, this was a reasonable adjustment for a student that has dyslexia at this level that needs papers published. And it was so and, stressful and such a big fight over it. And it's why what we should be having is people with disability as the access, working in access and equity unit. And also having an advisory group mm. that has um, people with a range of disability advising them so that it's not somebody sitting in an office going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Um, but actually having an examination having i mean in my for my in my view they should have been able to come to somebody like the dyslexia foundation to say is this reasonable yeah which not <laughs> to talk to somebody who's in a wheelchair to say is this reasonable because they haven't got a clue no i, mean, um, I know there's a conflict here of course because it's you that's right and i think that um they didn't realize the advocacy role i play outside of university for other people 
But my supervisors just said to me, we can't believe that this is happening when this is all the work you're doing is around this whole advocacy piece of why people need support and how they should be supported. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it was extremely stressful. And I just think I'm lucky that I've got the, the ability to do that advocacy work. I suppose it's why I do what I do. I, I find it much harder to advocate for myself than I do to advocate for other people. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you, you can get this, you take the, well, you don't take the emotion out of it, but most of the emotion out. Um, and you're able to say, well, this isn't right. And if you were a truly inclusive organisation, this is what you do. Um, so I do a lot for other people that I wish I could do for myself. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Advocating for yourself. And I get frustrated with myself because I think here we are constantly saying to people around self-advocacy and building your courage to do that. And uh, then sometimes you're faced with it and you think, oh, but how am I going to do this for myself? We don't want to to have somebody say no to us when we know that this is what we need. I mean, I must admit, so I worked for Victoria Police for about 10 years. And as I got less and less um, able to get around because my health file and my disability increased exponentially, um, but they were fantastic. They let me work from home. You know, this is back in the 90s, well before, you know, we had all the equipment. So they set, <laughs> before they set me, they set me up with a, with a computer and, and a phone line at home so I could continue working. So they were fabulous. And, the, and when I went back to work, they actually gave me a bed to sleep in for a couple of hours every afternoon. I mean, wow. this is Victoria Police, you know, sort of, and everyone's all, you know, they wouldn't do that. They did that. They also um, let me set up an employment program in Victoria Police. So every person who was employed was a person with a disability if it wasn't a police role. Um, I left and so did that. But, I mean, that was, if the police can do it, anybody can do it as far yeah. as I'm concerned. And that was because of my advocacy. It wasn't advocacy about me. It was because my boss said, I want Tricia to stay on. You know, so she did a couple of really good um, superintendents that I worked with, one male, one female, who both said, no, we, we want Tricia. So I had support at a senior mm. enough level. And I was well known in police because I talked to everybody. I don't care about rank or anything like that, you know, sort yeah. of bit, I'm respectful, but everybody's the same to me. And so there was, I was known already. But one of the things I was able to do was support uh, staff members who had dyslexia in Victoria Police that nobody knew they had dyslexia. And that was including sworn police officers as well. Because nobody knows unless you've got a safe place to disguise it. And I was always that safe space. And I've been, and it's also about gay police officers and whatever. Mm. I'm the safe space because I'm not judgmental. For me, it's about having the right supports in place regardless of what, it, what the barrier is. So I su- also supported women in Victoria Police because women were the enemy to Victoria Police. You know, oh, you can't have females doing this job. Yep. So it's about... Perceptions from the mainstream, I think, is what we need to focus on. It's not about us. It's about their inability to see us as uh, fully functional members of society because this is the way we've always done it and this is the way we're going to keep doing it. It's like COVID-19. Working from home, well, we can't do that, can we? No, we can't have Zoom meetings. We can't do that. 
Look, I can tell you that I've been doing Zoom for years now. Um, I've had meetings from Heathrow Airport, from Jakarta, from Nairobi, for, well, not so good in Ireland. Their Wi-Fi isn't as good as it could <laughs> be. Um, but, you know, I've been to places where I've sat in Heathrow Airport having a, having a Zoom meeting um, because I could. Mm. So how good is this? And so now we're getting people saying, oh, let's go back to normal now. Well, let's not. No, we've got um, an opportunity to change. And I, somebody said to me, well, we'll all be together for the next meeting. And I just said, my doctor said not till Christmas. I probably told a little fib. We've discussed it, but he didn't say I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> he just said, Christmas sounds nice. And I've gone, yeah, okay, that's a, that's a rule. <laughs> but why should I go to a meeting? You know, why should I have to attend in person when I can do it this way? It saves me three hours a day in travel time doing it mm. this way. Yeah, and the fatigue would be a lot less not having to Absolutely. do that travel. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can walk in my garden um, without having to see. I haven't left home except for medical appointments since March. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Noel goes and rides his bike and does the shopping or takes the car and does the shopping and it's fine, you know. Yeah. It's lovely. And we're still married. We haven't got divorced <laughs> living in the same house together. Yeah, my partner and I, we've been very lucky we said the same thing. We, you know, we haven't left each other's sides in three months. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask, um, what do you think we can do uh, over the next five years to push policy change within Australia for everyone Become, with disabilities? I suppose you're not. You know, see each other as, as allies and um, the disability community needs allies the same as everyone else does. Call on the expertise of others. Join all the um, human rights groups like Women with Disabilities Australia, People with Disabilities Australia, the Disability Leadership Institute, where, which are empowering agencies to work for change. And that's where you get your tips from. What have you done? Who, how have you done it? Lobby, 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 lobby. Join together as a as a voting block. I don't I don't favour one side or another. Um, people think they know me, um, but I have friends on all sides of politics. Be respectful of politicians because they can be your the, your greatest ally or your worst enemy. Doesn't mean you have to like everybody, but you just need to be able to have them on side. And just keep writing letters to politicians. That's the other thing. And write to corporations saying, you know, we can we can give you training on this issue. And don't give your stuff away for free. Own, own what you do. They are great tips. Thank you so much, Tricia. Is there anything else you'd like to say uh, to our listeners today before we wrap it up? It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Just be proud of who you are. You know, that's the main thing. Uh, a lot of you have done this hard for a long time and you do have allies in the disability community. We're not judgmental. We're not here to say, well, your disability is not as good as my disability. Um, it's not a competition. We all face different barriers to society. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today and I hope we get to have another conversation because I think there's so many other things we could unpack around reasonable adjustments and uh, policy change and advocacy. So thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Shay. It's been great. To find out more about Tricia and her work, 
with the Women with Disabilities Australia or the Social Incubator Program, head to deardyslexic.com. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Did you know we now have a new live Q&A series called Question Dis, D-Y-S, created during COVID to help our community feel more connected? Each month, I interview a fellow dyslexic about all things dyslexia and life. The Question Dis series is running through Facebook Live. I really hope you can come along and join us for one of these sessions. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us, admin at dyslexic.com. I hope you've enjoyed today. Bye for now.